Welcome along to Crunching Gears, Season 2, Episode 8. In this episode, Connor Edwards and myself, Kevin Glendunning, are joined by a father and son whose names are synonymous with Irish family, the Harrimans, Terry and Alan. We look back at their respective careers and the fascinating story it is. Terry starting out in the 60s, won the Circuit of Ireland with names like Ronnie McCartney, Paddy Hopkirk, and then moving on throughout the sport, competing in the World Championship and many, many stories beyond it. And Alan, with his time in the co-driver's seat, has allowed him to travel the world and see some fascinating sights. It's a fantastic story. I really think you're going to enjoy this one. And now we come to the Premier Award, an Austin Cooper S, entered and driven by Paddy Hopkirk and Terry Harriman. And this trophy is accompanied by a cheque for £300. Absolute right, 150, unseen easy right. 50, easy left. 50 grid, 100 road. Dear God. As dawn breaks on Wednesday morning at Cisteron, a dramatic turn of events has brought the rally to life. As a result of a co-driving error, Vardaman's Peugeot has been penalised eight minutes, and a seemingly impregnable lead has been handed to Walter Rural, who suddenly finding himself four minutes ahead of the Peugeot, is now trying desperately hard to consolidate his position. Determined Rural's masterful handling of the Audi makes a spectacular sight. But coolly composed Vatanen is equally determined to regain his lead and is about to embark on one of the most remarkable fightbacks in the history of modern rallying. The diminutive Peugeot is now in hot pursuit. It's indeed happiness in the hills for Mark and Terry Harriman and Ford's third tarmac win in a row, but it's not been easy. It's um, been one of the hardest rallies that I've ever had to do. It's fantastic. The road's very fast. Thankfully, it stayed dry. So um, that was a bit of a help for us, really. Well, you, you've got to win first time out, but it's, uh, that's not a new experience for you, Terry. Third time victory in Donegal, I believe. Yes, uh, Donegal's been very... I've always liked Donegal, and it seems to like me. Um, it's the third win. Seven outings, three wins in two seconds. Uh, it's not a bad record. Yeah. How does this one compare with the other two victories? Just as good. Just as good. Um, maybe more satisfying at my time of life. And the champagne's going to taste just as sweet. Better. <laughs> my first question was to Terry. It was how he first became involved in rallying. I suppose it was really through my parents, strangely enough. <laughs> they lived in Kent. And they used to go to Brands Hatch when it was a grass track. And so John Surtees, mum and dad, racing a sidecar. And then after the war, we went up to Ballyclare to the first race meeting, the Ulster, Ulster Trophy. Mm -hmm. um, that got me interested. I went through the motorbike phase, I raced small motorbikes. Mm -hmm. um, and my, my father said, prefer that I was inside a vehicle rather than sitting on it. <laughs> so he uh, bought me a, a, an Austin A40 Devon 
which was not the ideal car for going rallying in, but we had a bit of crack with it. Yes. Uh -huh. So that's, that's basically how it, how it started. And Queen's University Motor, Motorcycle and Car Club competed uh -huh. on, the, on the motorbike in a few of their events, trials mm -hmm. and rally. And strange, it was only a 98cc NSU box, but I had a co driver sitting up behind me reading the map. One night he couldn't he couldn't appear, so I had to try and ride and navigate myself, and won the thing outright. <laughs> I think that comes from an interest in maps. But yes. One of my aunts over in Kent uh -huh. had an ordnance survey map tucked away in her sideboard. It was one of the first things that I opened up yes. when I got there, and it used to go up the tracks. Near their near their farm, mm -hmm. and, and I, I liked I liked working on maps. Yeah. Never never ever imagined that I would be a, a rally navigator. Yeah, in fact, I didn't want to be <laughs> a driver. <laughs> but the A forty and the lack of brought an end to that. Yes, <laughs> calling of Queens Frank Main got me fixed up with a job navigating for a guy from Enniskillen, Junior Whaley, mm -hmm. 1960 circuit. Um, beforehand we did the Lauren Marsh Air Rally and I noticed that all the co-drivers, navigators in the world had map magnifiers. Right. I thought I'm going to have to get one of those and try and try and try. Eventually I made one out of an old tin can. The big magnifying glass I had, and yeah. it, it worked pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, we finished up dropping the same amount of time as Adrian Boyd, who won the rally. Yes. And that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. <laughs> or the end of the beginning, I suppose. <laughs> Robert, Robert Woodside Senior, his brother, older brother. <clears throat> Worked in shorts in the drawing office, and I was working at that time for about six years in the weights department. And Billy kept coming and plaguing me with a go navigate for Robert. And eventually I did, and start, I started a relationship that went on for three years, I suppose. Mm -hmm. In 61, we finished second overall in the circuit. Then he, I don't know, for some reason, said that I was. Too good for him. He was a brilliant driver, no doubt about it, one of the best ever. Mm -hmm. And somehow or other, I got involved with Ronnie and Tessie McCartney. Mm -hmm. Did an awful lot of rallying with Ronnie. Sometimes we'd do three or four rallies a week <laughs> an evening one, and a day one, and an all night one. Uh -huh. So I got a lot of experience very quickly with them. Mm -hmm. Specifically with Ronnie. Yeah. And probably knowing Ronnie McCartney, you probably them three or four rallies you've done in the week. It was probably in three or four different cars as well. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> totally different scenario then. I mean, you could, you could go rallying, road rallying, anything. Mm -hmm. Basically. How it changed. Mm -hmm. So that was a start. And like, you, you know, by, by 1964, you said there earlier you'd finished second in 61. 
64, yes. you won the circuit outright. Like that, right. that must have been fantastic. You know, like at that stage, you were still this young guy serving your time at this uh, rally, navigating at the time. It must have been brilliant to won such a prestigious rally. It was incredible. Actually, the year before, 63, we led the rally. Okay. Until the last night, the Carlos oil pressure. Mm -hmm. Ironically, in 64, along with most of the minis, we had a, a big rock growing up out of Australia, I think it must have come from. <laughs> it, it smashed everybody's sump. And our car had actually deformed the, the gear casing. Right. We lost second gear. Uh -huh. We only had one, three, and four. We went through 37 gallons of oil. <laughs> we had three punctures uh -huh. and a petrol pump that packed up. We still won it. <laughs> Never go. On it. While, while we were looking at the damage underneath the car, um, somehow or other I dropped a time card. Uh -huh. And we're very near the end of the road section and suddenly realized we turned and went back. And this old boy was going up and down the road. They waved us down. He says, Is this what you've lost? It's the time card. Wow. <laughs> so it was an eventful circuit. Then, like, uh, 65, Paddy Hopkirk, you were sitting like, and Paddy Hopkirk at this stage was a world star, never mind. You know, yeah. famous Northern Ireland. Like this is the guy yeah. that had won the Monte Carlo a couple of years previous. It must have been a huge honour to get the the call from Paddy then to sit. Well, I was going to do it with Ronnie. Obviously, he got a, a uh -huh. Renault Gordini, one of a three car team. Mm -hmm. I was going to do it with him, and then oh dear, what was his name? One of the bosses in Triumph. Rang me up and asked me what to do it with Roy Fiddler in a 2.5 PI tram. Mm -hmm. And then out of the blue, Stuart Turner came on and said, Seems like you're the man to take with our team, you know, seems to do everything. And, and they paid money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that got me in. To do the circuit with Paddy, but I've done a couple of small rallies with him uh -huh. a year or two before that. So okay. we were strangers, really. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. And like a, a, a very gifted driver, too, back in his day as well. Like, like tremendous Absolutely. success, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Brilliant, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, like, 60, so uh, 65 years in, you had, you know, a, a decent year, but 66. You were leading her there, thereabouts, and had a huge accident up here in Donegal. Look, ask. Uh huh. Yeah, just like five or six miles from where I'm sitting here now. Great. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy to think that was the, the, the accident that probably why road cages is now in rally cars. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like, um, like there was talk that that was a, a very how would we put it very special money. <laughs> it was uh, considerably lighter than most of the other cars about at that time. Unfortunately, it had one in inherent fault, which they had never experienced. It had hydroelastic suspension. Okay. And when it landed on the front wheels, the back wheels went down. Right, yes. And the thing became undrivable. Mm -hmm. Just for an instant. 
like a pogo stick. Finish up going over this jump, landing, rolling under its roof, going down the road, spinning, wipe it off both the filler caps and petrol going everywhere. Sparks. Mm-hmm. How it didn't catch fire, I have no idea. But when we got got organized, the roof was well, the right hand side of the roof was right down to the top of the door. Right. So the bottom of the wind, bottom of the window. Mm-hmm. Um, my side wasn't damaged. Paddy's overalls were torn. Where they'd have been on the road. Mm-hmm. That, that must have been a frightening experience. It was. One of hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> So that was 65, 66. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you know, 66 rolled. Mm-hmm. 67, we won it again. Yeah. We'll skip forward then to the early 70s. Um, Donegal Motor Club was setting up, and I'm sure a good friend of yours, Austin Fraser, was the clerk of the course. And he was always sitting with Kevin Curley. So Kevin needed a navigator for those early Donegals. So you got the call there to sit with Kevin and Donegal. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some stories around sitting with cattle. Yeah, it certainly was, but the whole <laughs> thing happened basically because Donegal allowed pace notes, mm-hmm. and I had learned quite a bit about pace notes from Paddy, from Rhino Walton, and I did did a, the recce for Monte Carlo Rally in '66 with Rhino, so I got a good grounding in pace notes, and that helped. Yeah. Also, did a few rallies with Vic Alfred. Two Gulf London rallies, one in a Ford Cortina GT and the other in a Porsche 911 factory car. Okay. That went on to Corsica, went to Corsica, did the recce. Right. Didn't get to do the rally, unfortunately. Mm. And then the RAC rally, mm-hmm. it was Vic in a Porsche. We were lying second on the last night. And down was horrible fire breaks in Keeler Forest and we're stuck there for a long, long time and that was it. Bad right. Jack. Uh-huh. Uh, no, no, mobile, no mobile phones or nothing then to make yeah. a call to you for somebody to come and get you. <laughs> also did a rally in the south of France, Criterium de Savannah did that with Pick Alfred and Lancia. Mm-hmm. Fulvia was the first Lancia Fulvia with a 1440cc engine. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Factory car, yeah, that was great experience. Imagine, yeah, and like they, I, they, like they were way ahead of their time, they were front wheel driving all at that stage, weren't they? Like, so, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. they were quite a fantastic wee car in their day now, definitely, you know. So, yeah, and then you know, like the early 70s, sitting with Cackle and continuing then with the, the McCartney's, sure. you had great success then with the McCartney's all through the 70s, then as well, yeah. Desi only had one win, that was in Galway. Desi was always the bridesmaid, second, 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 very mm-hmm. consistent second. Mm-hmm. One, Tony Gold twice with CB. Mm-hmm. And then several years later, won it with Mark Lovell. Mm-hmm. Three, three Donegal rally victories as well. Mm-hmm. Three circuits. Brilliant, fantastic, yeah. And then 79. Um, you were drafted and then to sit with Malcolm Wilson. Like Malcolm was the 
seen as the next great British Hope at that stage. He was they were expecting great things from him. That must have been were you seen as the, the steady pair of hands to help help Malcolm develop onto the next level at that stage? Yeah, I would say so. I did actually first rally with him was the Ulster Rally. Okay. In 78 or so it was. And then he got a deal with Total Oil. Mm-hmm. And we were teammates with Henry Toivonen, late great Henry Toivonen. And the rivalry between him and Melbourne was fierce. <laughs> and it certainly helped Malcolm to become a superb rally driver mm-hmm. at that year. And then Rossman's escort in 81 yeah. did a couple of rallies in Belgium with Malcolm and also Portugal. And obviously then when you were in the Rothmans team, was that where the friendship developed then with uh, with Ari at that stage? Well, we were in the same team yeah. and in the Acropolis rally that year, 81, David Richards, for some reason, couldn't do the recce and I went and did, after it finished recce, doing the recce with Malcolm, went and did it with Ari. And I think that was what started it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Later that year, I had nothing coming on, and I uh, won the World Championship, mm-hmm. and he had nothing for the next year. And all of a sudden, out of a blue, a friend of ours who looked after getting sponsorship and things for Malcolm in Portugal, a guy called uh, Passos, he called me up one night and said, Were you doing any rallying? I said, no. He said, are you interested? I said, yes. He said, would you like to do the Swedish rally with Ari? I said, are you having me on? <laughs> he said, it'll be a great opportunity for you. There'll be no money because it's a private, totally private setup. Mm-hmm. David Sutton's car. And we finished second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was probably Stig in a, in a quattro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the four wheel drive was this was the the quad roads was starting to appear at that stage. Sort of yeah. 81, 82. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. And I suppose oh, I did, about that year I did rallies with Tony Pond. Yeah, I it done safari rally with Tony Pond. Not was, safari yeah. with it fourth when our first go. Uh-huh. We put it. Don't know what I wanted us to do. We'd have avoided a thing that caused so many people out. Right. Uh-huh. Get mud hole. <laughs> and our mud crew, they got stuck. They couldn't do anything. <laughs> and the Opal guys wanted to go. Well, that's uh-huh. Roll told us to go that way because it was uh, Ryan would have gone that way. Yes. Ryan would have went the wrong way. It was Walter Roll. Uh-huh. When they got him out of this place, they came back and they pulled us out. Right. And if it hadn't been for, for that, okay. Who knows what will happen afterwards? We would have won, 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 dropped uh-huh. enough time in that one place yeah. to put us out of fourth place. Mm-hmm. Or put us back to fourth place. Mm-hmm. I did a Crawford's rally that year with, with Tony as well, Tony Pond. Mm-hmm. And then I came straight back from there to do the Welsh finish off the British Championship with Ari, the Welsh rally. Mm-hmm. 
And like everybody says Tony Pond, if he had a go over that thing about not wanting to drive left-hand drive cars, he could have been as, you know, probably as good a driver as any of these other guys, really. He just did this thing about only wanting to drive left-hand drive cars. Sensationally quick. I thought he was a total pain in the arse because <laughs> he wrecked and wrecked and wrecked and wrecked and wrecked. Uh-huh. And he drive three, four hundred yards and he's like, oh, that's not right. And he reversed back. 200 yards and then go forward. Uh-huh. And the record just went on and on and on forever. <laughs> so we were to marry the next, the next year. The record was all done in five days. We had one holiday. <laughs> if the lead broke him a pencil, I would just say, just remember that, tell me, broke it lead. <laughs> I don't it take it easy. But again, that was an, an adventure to Sorry that year. Mm-hmm. Um, in the recce, we had problems with zebras. One of them finished up at the bottom with his head passed through the windscreen. <laughs> uh, on the rally, we also had problems with zebras right. with broken back axle, which the mechanics who had the axle, a spare axle, mm-hmm. Came to help us so quickly that the road ability thing, <laughs> the, the van, and it jammed the door so they couldn't get the axle. Couldn't get in to get the axle. <laughs> we lost so much time. Punctures yeah. off the road, went down a, a embankment backwards. And I said, Get out, push, get out, push. And I opened the door and there's two big black warriors. Stand there. And I just said, oh, oh, push, push, push. I think they were so amazed that they actually pushed. Because normally they say, money, money, money. <laughs> but that, that was just an incredible thing. We dropped so much time. Uh-huh. And then suddenly, towards the end of it, other people did the same thing. Dropped time stupidly. Hanu, mm-hmm. Michelle, Sting. And the next thing we were leaving it was only about four or five hours ago. Right. We had a halt in the Vasher. I had a shower. And I can remember some of the shower crying because I couldn't believe that this was going to happen. Something mm-hmm. terrible would stop us from winning. Uh-huh. But it didn't. Yeah. That was a phenomenal experience. That was my first World Championship. Uh-huh. I like all the years, all the work, everything was coming together for this one moment, I suppose, at that time, wasn't it? Yep. Mm-hmm. At 45. Was that young? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose, Alan, I suppose to bring you in here now, like what was your, I suppose Connor really should take this on, really. Yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, when when did you start to become aware of, of you know rallying in the high school and stuff? And I suppose the level that your your, your father was competing at it sort of started for me whenever I was about five. I think I was either five or six, and we get taken up to Donegal as a family with the McCartneys and their Volkswagen camper van. And there was a photograph taken of Dad, my sister Lynn, and I on a trailer in a map, and it ended up in the Belfast Telegraph. And for me, that, that's my first 
memory watching the Donegal rally from a Volkswagen camper van and providing lunches and things like that for Desi and Dad. So yeah. I, think it was, I think it was 75. Yeah, I think so. And at what point did you start to get a taste for it or an interest, you know, did it develop from there or did it take a while? Um, I was probably nine or ten um, when I started to help my dad make the taste notes. He was doing the thing that uh, Patterson's took on. So it was stage notes by TAH, I think it was called. So I would earn my pocket money by uh, writing down the notes that he would call out and then rereading them back to him, correcting them. And then we'd go to the copy shop, get them printed and then sell them to the competitors that wanted them. So that was, that was my younger, younger years. And that was how I learned and understood pace notes at a very young age and was able to see the road. Yeah. So yeah, a good, good grinding in it. Yes, yeah. So I, I wasn't, dad started off with maps. I, I think I probably did four or five road rallies in my life and got comprehensively lost in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the pace notes for me. So Terry, I suppose, just go back to yourself there for, um, like you were talking about one safari then and like, this stage, like Ari had come from won the world championship a year and a half previous. Like it must have been like nearly like, for him to step back to do the British Rally Championship. Yes, he was still on a good team and all, but it must have been a bit heartbreaking for him not to be able to compete in the, the world championship in a regular occurrence at that stage. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Mm-hmm. Was it the 82, the Manx? You said the huge accident over there and like whether it's true or not, you've always been attributed with the, the saying, somebody always says, when did you think Ari was going to have a crash? And you said when he was leaving Scrutineer. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was like two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that, girl. There's a, there's a dam somewhere up in the mountains. Could I get the name of it? And a very, very fast flowing bit of road runs down the side of this reservoir and we were really tramping along and suddenly Harry sees Stig and Per Eklund up the grass bank and he's waving to them <laughs> and the inside front wheel is probably 15-16 inches off the ground mm-hmm. they always lifted the front wheel opposite side to, to turn the corner mm-hmm. and he's waving to them I'm thinking, what am I here to do? And the accident was a biggie, but I got out of the car healthier than I was weeks beforehand, because I'd done something to my spine. In a previous accident? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we are upside down in the Escort, mm-hmm. held there by the seatbelts, and of course, when you let go of the seatbelts, you fall on the roof. Yes. I crawled out, stood up, and my back was fixed. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Did Ari charge you for that? He would be well now. 
And then even eighty four, the man going through the cattle grid. Like little do you think, like almost forty years later, that's still an iconic Manx moment, isn't it? That going through the, the cattle yep. grid, and you just lifting your head, dear God. <laughs> but yep. like, at probably even at the end of the stage, you probably never even registered it. Like, it was just one of those moments in the stage, was it? Yeah. What was more worrying was going up after. The accident around, you go around a couple of hairpins out. I've forgotten the name of the place. And then it opens up. Going up there with a flat front tire at over 100 miles an hour. And you could feel when you come to the right hand, it was left hand puncture, when you come to the right hand corners, you could feel it saying pushing, pushing out. Thinking, oh, this is going to be a big, big accident. But no, the road was wide enough. Yeah. <laughs> And then it was uh, late 84 that um, Perso signed you up then to, for this new 205 uh, T16. Like, this was one of the real Group B monsters. We didn't, we didn't rally the car until Corsica. Corsica, which would have been in May, would it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And our contract started on the 1st of January, so we had involvement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the car absolutely suited Ari to perfection because it drove so much like a Mark II Escort. Okay. Ari, in the time we were with Opel, he could drive the Ascona. He really couldn't drive the Manta 400. Right. Too much of a racing car. Right. Never said was so, just suited his style of driving. Mm-hmm. And, and like at the time, like was that like was that such a, a step up from like a two wheel drive, two hundred and fifty brake horsepower Manta or Skoda whatever to these like four wheel drive, probably three hundred and fifty four hundred brake horsepower? Where was it a huge jump in performance even for yourselves then at that stage? Oh yeah, for sure. In the car's car's potential was just incredible. You say then, you know, like tour the course leading, and probably uh, like on the surface, it probably never really says it. Or it was tarmac to, you know, that showed the capability of the car to be able to lead. Yep. Absolutely. So, the Peugeot also, we had accidents. In fact, with Ari, you could count on having nine accidents out of ten. Right. <laughs> That include the recce, <laughs> or was that your specialist subject? <laughs> yeah. Have you, about, have you asked him about Monte Carlo recce '85? No, not yet. No. <laughs> Is there a story there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what? recce. <laughs> Harry stopped to help couple of Germans in a, in a golf who were wrecking and they were stuck off the road. And the next morning, he didn't come down to breakfast. I went up, banged on the door, couldn't do anything. Eventually got somebody to open the door and Harry was lying flat on the floor. He'd done something terrible to his back. Okay. We trying to get this golf on, back on the road. And the team doctor came along and he went to the hospital. I was out of action for 10 days. 
Uh, Obviously, records were a bit longer then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brilliant. There were social occasions as well. It was just <laughs> work. <clears throat> so I said to Jean Todd, I think I need to look here somehow. We're going to do the pace notes because we ha- still haven't done pace notes for about six or seven stages. We said, well, who do you want? Drive, I said, I'll drive and I'll take Fred Gallagher as a co-driver. So he says, oh, okay. That's a surprise. Of course, I got carried away. <laughs> In a 205 Turbo 16. <laughs> yeah. But the, the accident where we went off the road and finished upside down was not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> the lady coming down the road in the opposite direction in a small Renault and she panicked, locked the brakes, she had no studs on, just she was coming straight to no. And I thought put it onto the snow bank, mm-hmm. get out of her way so it won't be too big an accident. But unfortunately the snow bank had nothing underneath it. Just snow resting on the roof, and the car just fell over the edge and finished upside down. <laughs> 10, 12 meters off the road, off the road, below the road. Mm-hmm. They had to get a massive big crane <laughs> up to say to lift it back out onto the road. There was no damage to it at all. <laughs> well, not too bad. <laughs> but it was also soft snow. <laughs> what was Fred's quote? Just like Vatlam. Just like that, and I'll thump it. <laughs> but like, whenever, whenever things were working, like, yes, we're unbeatable, really, that whole, like, from the Thousand Lakes onto San Remo, onto the RAC rally, three ones in a row, like, whenever the, the, the thing clicked, as you say, it, it's just at RA style. It's actually five in a row because we followed up with Monte Carlo and Sweden. Yes, I had the following year then, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, they weren't in the same year as far no. as the worst is concerned, but mm-hmm. five consecutive wins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With so many accidents, I mean, Corsica, we could have won it. Not could have won it, should have won it. Both twice, years? Except for accidents and mm-hmm. big accidents. Yeah. Even after he came back from his accident, we did horse car and San Remo, mm-hmm. in a Muleto, as they called it, a hack car. Okay. On We were doing a tarmac on well-worn down gravel tires. Okay. Just what they could give us. Mm-hmm. One of the first tarmac stages, we were sixth fastest. <laughs> Unbelievable! Like it just showed that the talent of the of the pair of you. Like it takes two to make the car work, doesn't it? You know, and like well, that, well, that, that ended in a, in a big accident. <laughs> and Un- unaccountably, it was an Irish side. Yes, <laughs> whole left hand side of the car, the mud guard, the door, half the engine cover thing. Uh-huh. And that was, we were only doing. Course car, I mean, the word zero car, yeah. <laughs> zero car. <laughs> but even going back to like the Monty in '85, like 
you know, you made a, a bit of a small error with the timing, uh, but like the comeback. Use the word small. <laughs> well, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> but like that, that comeback, like the two just must have just, there was probably, yes, there was a bit of anger in it, but the, the drive to come back from that, the, the click must have been in the car. It must have been phenomenal. Phenom, phenomenal? It's the word I'm looking for. That comeback was just something else. It's out of this world. Well, the first stage the next morning, mm-hmm. uh, an incredible stage. It's just as I was counting down, he says, now we really go. Okay. And I think we took 25 seconds of it and roll on it. Mm-hmm. But the biggest biggest mistake was on um, one stage at night, we called the San Rafael. There was snow for, you know, there was dry roads for eight, nine kilometers, and then there was snow for 12 kilometers, and then it was dry again. And couldn't make up their mind what tires to use. Mm-hmm. The gravel crew, they were all disagreement. Who was the gravel crew? We had three gravel crews. Brad. It was John Hopland. Kelly uh, Grumble and somebody. And I can't remember who the third one was. But I couldn't agree. They were keeping their eye on what we're always doing. Mm-hmm. And he went on slicks drag racing tires yeah and i said look the part of the stage that's got the snow on it is uphill it's going to be such a mess with racing tires and the michelin guy said you're absolutely right walter is going on racing tires and I said, well, I think we should go on gravel tires. And eventually Ari saw the light about it and we went on gravel tires and as soon as we hit the snow, within two kilometers hitting the snow, we were past Boulder. Right. I mean, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. He, he was barely couldn't go forwards. Okay. So slippery and on racing mm-hmm. tires. And then I spent the rest of the stage reading the pace of us, looking over my shoulder to see where the lights were coming from behind us because for sure he was going to catch us up on the, on the dry stuff. Uh-huh. He didn't. We took minutes out of him. Right. Mm-hmm. Actually, we had that, that rally, the first stage we did it with TV mm-hmm. camera, but built in. Okay. Uh, live feed mm-hmm. shown throughout France. Okay. Live in car. Yes. So far ahead. Mm-hmm. And the second stage, we had a good time last stage. The second stage, Saint Bonnet de Foix, set a blistering pace until we got 500 meters from the end. We went off the road on a right hander into a crowd of spectators. Right. And I vividly remember one guy coming down head first on the bonnet. Take a photograph of it, isn't it? There is, yeah. yeah. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I was sure there'd be people killed or, mm-hmm. or maimed. Yes. And drove up to the finish and I said, you'd better have ambulance quickly down there. And there was only one guy with a broken arm. Right. And he actually sent a telegram to our age congratulating him. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. It's another really. And then that huge accident then in Argentina, like, what, you know, were you badly injured in that? Was I? Were you badly injured in the, the accident in Argentina? Depends how you categorize it. <laughs> my, my neck was broken. Right. Which is probably accepted as a pretty serious thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I was very, very lucky. The C2 went like that. Okay. If it had gone the other way, I would have been either history or paralyzed. Okay. I was very lucky with it. Mm-hmm. I also had something broken up in the ear and a couple of bones broken up in my right hand. I was not as bad as Ari, for sure. I was lucky. And like, were, were you were, were you laid up in hospital during this time out in Argentina as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a team helicopter follows Sig, who's running in front of us. The helicopter follows Timo. Was Carlos in the team as well? Carlos Rodin, sea driving? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they came back. As agents would normally do, and they saw the car had landed, and they just fortunately there was virtually no spectators. One one spectator was a medical person, and he directed how Ari should be put into the helicopter. It had to be for him because the injuries could have been worse, mm-hmm. and somewhere or other I got in the helicopter. And afterwards, the helicopter pilot said, do you remember the incident with the electric wires? I said, yes. He said, it was a good job you saw them, because I didn't. Where we landed near the hospital, the electricity wires, and we were going straight at them, and I said, watch out. <laughs> and pulled it back. But... And then, like, for, um, for like, yourself at home now at this stage, you know, like there was no mobile phones, there was no, you know, instant or messaging or anything like that. To get that phone call, it must have been like not knowing what state your father was in. It must have been an awful phone call to, to become home then to hear that news. It was quite a regular phone call, <laughs> to be honest. But um, see, do you remember CFAX? Yes, uh huh, yeah. But 365, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. 365, yeah. CFAX was always the place where we'd find out information. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there have been a lot of phone calls over the years where, okay, we're out of the rally, we're all right, or yes. something like that. But in Argentina, yes, it was a bit difficult because, the, from my memory, the time zone was massive. And I think the call came in the middle of the night. So it was a shock. But again, it's always better to get that call where he's okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even coming back from that, there was you never thought, you know, do I need to continue doing this? It was like, when when can I get back out again, really, was it? (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> Simple answer. Yeah. <laughs> Straightforward. Mortgage needs pay. Yeah. Because yeah, it was was it's like falling off a horse, so you had to get back on again. Yeah, uh-huh. I suppose that's the only way to deal with it, is it? Is get back out again. It was must have been just before the end of the rally. Some of the Peugeot people came in to see me, and I was in care okay, exactly. Yeah. But I had to have cigarettes. <laughs> They weren't too keen on this, and I said, I must, must have cigarettes. So they moved me into this massive ward where there was nobody else in it. I was there by myself, and I had so many visitors, nice people, nosy people. Cigarette suppliers. People come with a carton of cigarettes, yeah. <laughs> and vodka. Um, and I, I said, no, I said, now, let's talk about when I'm going to be able to rally again. And this looked at me as it was mad, which it was. And I explained, I said, I want to do the REC rally. Okay, are you going to do the REC rally with, I said, Kelly Grundle, who was under contract with Project Talbot Deutschland. Okay. Who ran the team that I was, did German Championship with, with Michelle. Mm-hmm. And Again, she not totally agree with it. Mm-hmm. And that was the Evo 2 car. Yes. With 450 horsepower. Mm-hmm. And me with a broken neck. And I made myself up with some sort of a collar thing. Mm-hmm. Thought this will do, this will be all right. And I went out to the down. And I thought, what a fucking idiot I am. <laughs> Sorry for the language. Why am I here? What am I doing this for? I don't need this. Couldn't really back away from it. No. And went to with Kelly. Didn't finish because we hit a tree head on. <laughs> Out. We were, we were lying second. Uh-huh. And like, you, you talked about, you know, that the, the Evo 2 car, was, were they a huge Im- improvement even from the previous generation of the car too? Incredible. Just yeah. so much better. Uh-huh. Better braking, better aerodynamics. Um, more power. Much more power. Yeah. Turbo lag, virtually nothing. Right. Which was a big problem with turbos and then. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a serious bit of kit yeah. mm-hmm. that I regretted the fact that it only got in one once, that once. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the next year I was with PTD, Project Help of Deutschland, with, uh, with Michel Mouton. Mm-hmm which was a year's rallying that I really enjoyed because it was just totally, totally relaxed and different. Okay. They were like a big family, weren't they? Sorry? Peugeot Tablet Deutschland was like a big family. Yeah. Yeah, big yeah. family team. Yeah. Class. Brilliant. I hadn't the pressures of the World Championship events and all that. It was more more relaxed, more fun. That was kind of why you got into the sport, I suppose, in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
And the, you know, the, at the end of the 86, the Group B cars were banned. They were getting a bit crazy, weren't they? Like they were they were probably getting too fast with the roads. And the fans, well, the fans, I think, maybe was more of a problem really than the cars, were they? Unlike any other rally cars, the Group B cars were built purely as competition vehicles. They had their shortcomings, obviously, they were a bit fragile. Whenever you crashed them? Yeah, but to say a bit fragile, the Turbo 16, for example, was basically a plastic body, plastic doors, plastic mud guards, plastic engine cover, steel roof. Andre de Cortanza, the engineer of the team, did an analysis of their Argentina car, and he reckoned that the distortions of the roll cage were such that it had to be submitted to 12, 12G force uh-huh. at the accident. Right. You say normally that people don't survive 12G. No. Uh-huh. That's only one of the impacts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was yeah. multiple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of frightening when you put it like that. The I-12G, like that's 12 times your own body weight being pushed down yeah. on you, like, isn't it? And no seat specifications. No. No seatbelt specifications. Mm-hmm. No hands. No. Yeah. I know wrap around seats. No nothing. Like no. That. no. <laughs> Not to go back to the early 60s when we were rallying without seatbelts. Yeah. <laughs> Our roll cages are hanging yet. Roll cages. <laughs> At slightly slower speeds. <laughs> and then, like, 87 Group A come along. Like, you, uh, you and Kelly Grundle done the Monte Carlo in a two-wheel drive, Sarah. Like, was that, like, probably wasn't an ideal car, but was it such a, a slow car compared to the Group B monsters you'd stepped out of? Absolutely. Couldn't <laughs> <laughs> compare. Couldn't yeah. compare. Yeah. What car did Sierra go to 300? 370, I think we talked about then. 270. 370. Mm-hmm. Unless you go to the 500, of course. Yeah. And two-wheel drive again as well, too. You look back to back all the power going through the rear wheels as well, too, which was a bit, probably took a bit of getting used to again as well. Having, didn't you have to get out and push it up one section in Monty? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually going backwards, sliding back down the hill. Spectators came out and pushed us, got us away. <laughs> it was so bad, I don't think we actually qualified to do the final leg. Right. And yet we had two fastest times, two fastest stage times when the roads were dry. The, the Sierra was a great car on dry tarmac, and that, once it kind of went beyond its comfort zone, then it, it seemed to struggle, really, didn't it? You know. <laughs> so, Yep. And the huge turbo lag in them as well. It, it seemed to be you had zero power and then boom, <laughs> you had your 350, 370 brake all going through the back wheels all at one go, didn't it? You know, so. That's where those to, boys learned how to left foot brake, wasn't it? Yeah. To, to keep go, the boost up. To go back on that, back in 82, was that the year that it pond it was? In 82 in Safari, mechanics didn't go out with you on recce. Okay. If the car broke down, you had to get in touch with the workshop they had in Nairobi and they'd send out a new car, not a necessarily a new car, but a different car, a car mm-hmm. that goes. But the first thing was, how did you commun- communicate? Yes. You're in the middle of the sticks in, in Kenya. There's not too many telephone boxes. 
So if the car broke down, you could be there for three days. Were you? Mm -hmm. And they had a variety of cars, didn't have enough wrecking cars really. They had Bluebird turbos, which were reckoned to be the most unreliable car ever. <laughs> and on them, just to go back to the turbo lag, you could actually put your foot down and count to five or six before it started to go. They were absolutely horrendous. <laughs> and you knew as soon as you got one, it was going to break down that day or the next day. <laughs> Grim. So I would, that wouldn't help Tony Pond's humour having to <laughs> go with one of them? Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> you could see big jets flying way, way up. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, please God, let's go home with one of those. <laughs> I can't wait to get back on one of those. <laughs> and the worst part for me, like with Pondy to Kenya, was he booked the tickets, tourist class. Which I was not quite used to at that stage. <laughs> and non-smoking. <laughs> that wasn't good. <laughs> well, that was eight hours. Eight hours bloody flight without a cigarette. London Nairobi. Yeah. <laughs> so not only was Tony Pond in bad humour, I would say Terry was in bad humour too. They <laughs> got off the plane. <laughs> Did you have to share a room as well? No. <laughs> <laughs> Saved. Well, not, not in that real way. <laughs> Might have done an Eldorette or somewhere like that. And then for 88, then, um, yeah, the season with uh, Mark Lovell uh, contestant, like this was such a, 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 like doing the Dutch Championship, the British Championship, and the, the Irish Tarmac Championship, like that was a busy, busy year, wasn't it? It was, yep, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Mark was another one of those guys that probably, his talent never got him really where he deserved to be. He was phenomenally fast in tarmac, wasn't he? Fantastic. He was a very, very good driver. He was a good on gravel as well. Uh -huh. Very good. Not just as good as Malcolm, I would say, but not far off it. Mm -hmm. Pondy level, Jimmy, Russell. They were all similar, but Malcolm was a bit quicker than... He just had that special, yeah. something a wee bit more special about him, you know? So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like that, like you know, to contest three championships in the one year, like uh, uh, even today's standards, that's unheard of. You know, like, uh, um, what what was the thinking behind that? Was that just a forward decision that they wanted him to to get him out as often as possible, or what was the, the thinking behind that? I really don't know. Must have been something to do with the sponsorship deals. Okay. And Alan, eighty-eight would have seen you take your first tentative steps into rallying. Is that correct? Yes. Well, you know the story behind that. <laughs> you were just saying about my, my father turning up on your doorstep with a, an entry form for the Tour of the Sparrows. Correct. That, it was the event secretary for that. Um, it was the first year to run it. Yes. That was actually my second rally. The first one was the Festival Stages, which was held around Ballymena. In the uh, showgrounds. In the showgrounds, yeah. And I remember coming home from that thinking, I'm just not cut out for this rally and if that's rallying. And dad says, look, it's all right. We'll get you into the woods for the next one. I said, oh, okay, right. So, and he was right. Once went into the woods, proper rallying. Then I uh, began to enjoy it. Was that the plan or the intention you were going to stick in the, in the driver's seat or, or, you know, what, what was the thinking at that stage? I think the thinking was quite similar to my grandfather. 
that my father wanted to get me off motorbikes before I got into motorbike racing. Because at that stage, um, I was buying and selling motorbikes with his help and assistance and upgrading and uh, wanted road bikes and was thinking about, because it's a motorbike racing is affordable, you know, to go to club level. I didn't think at any stage that I'd be getting a rally car, but for my own health and safety, as my grandfather did for my father, decided it was a, a good idea to get a rally car. So with help from Skoda in the Czech Republic, we imported the car from Czechoslovakia and Malcolm Wilson actually lent us a Range Rover in a trailer to go and pick it up from the port at Skoda UK, what is it? Skoda UK, we're down in Norfolk. Yeah. So we went, picked it up, brought it home and uh, made it Northern Ireland Championship legal because believe it or not, then the WRC cars didn't have as many safety features as you needed to rally in Northern Ireland or the UK. So we got all that sorted out. And who co-drove for me first? Was it Bobby? Probably, yeah. I think Bobby Willis was my first co-driver. Yeah, that's where that began. And did you did you get any sage words of advice from 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 your dad before you started out? You can probably imagine. Don't be like Vatlin. <laughs> yeah, it's not a works drive. So, yeah, it was my wages for paying the entry fees, and Dad helped me out tires and preparation, paying Bobby. And was there ever at any stage the two years in the one car? Did they ever co drive for you or? No, no. Just no. Didn't awful lot of rallies together as gravel note crew, yeah, but not, we never got as far as, oh, tell a lie actually. Whenever the Targa rallying started up, my first yes. season at Targa rallying, I managed to coerce him into the passenger seat for a couple of events. I think we did two. Two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was it. It was not uh, goal. Yeah. Lock all. Not Punchy's time. What was it? Some big race, horse racing course yeah. down there. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Good crack. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it was like one of those things, you know, we always talked about doing it, never got around to doing it. And then whenever this appeared, oh, we can actually do this now. Go and have a bit of fun. How old was that? Ten years ago, would you believe? Ten, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when did you make the move from the, the, you know, the driver's seat to the co-driver's seat? I got a phone call from a friend of mine, Johnny Boyd, who was Adrian Boyd's son, to ask me if I had any interest in doing Dolly Gall, I think it was 91, in the Historics. Uh, he'd acquired an ex-Pat Moss Austin A40. So we went to do the recce for Dolly Gall, I think it was the weekend before then in his father's 1960-something Daimler Dart. And the weather was fantastic. So we got the roof down, we got some suntan, we got the pace notes made, and then we came back the next weekend and uh, in the Austin A40. I think we survived Friday, but then we crashed out on Saturday uh, on Atlantic Drive, which was actually to become one of the stages I crashed the most on over my career. Uh, we ended up beside the singing pub and uh, 
ended Saturday in there in typical Boyd Harriman style. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the beginning of my co-driving. Uh, I did, he ended up with a, another Lotus Sunbeam after the A40 and we did Circuit 92, I think it was, and then Killarney, Rally of the Lakes, whenever it was in December. I think that was 92 as well. We, uh, I think we finished them both. I remember one of the memories is coming down Malls Gap in the dark, in the ice, on Dunlop Historic Racing Slicks. Never, never been so glad to get back to the hotel after that. One. I could have <laughs> Yeah, whenever you'd done the recce and you'd seen what was over the edge, yes, it's like mm, I don't want to be doing that. No, <laughs> just want a few extra cautions under the notes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But rallying with Johnny was fun. You know, it was it was a family affair. His dad would come along. I never ever thought at that stage that it was ever going to progress any more than that. But then uh, the next year, we were racing carts. And uh, a chap was racing carts against, said that he was going to start rallying, would have any interest in co-driving for him. It was a guy called Jay Jordan. And I said, yeah, sure, sure. We'll see what happens. And lo and behold, you know, got a phone call. Can you meet me up at David Graham Motorsport and get you fitted up for the seat? And we're going, to, I think, Kirkuson, Bishop's Court, you know, that type of thing. And then the yeah. Circuit of Ireland and then Donegal. And, yeah. So we did that for a few years with Jay. And again, never thought anything else was going to come of it. But it, it's funny. Like it just keeps keeps growing and growing. Yeah, you have the passion and the enjoyment and it's all still there, then you keep going. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you moved on then into your, your, your partnership with um, Robert Woodside. So was that through sort of the family connection or how did that come about? With Robert, uh, I'd been hanging around with his cousins, uh, Mark and Simon, who were is Robert Senior's sons, who Dad co-drove for. So there's that, that started off with a family connection. Um, they were we just went and watched rallies and hung about and like whenever the mobile rally challenge was on and Dad and I were working at that, they'd come over and you know watch bits and pieces and stay for a few days at some of the venues. So there was a, a big passion for rallying in amongst us. And Robert was quite a lot younger than us. So he probably appeared 92, 93. And we went karting together in 94 and 95. And then he went into single seater racing in 96. And then 97, he was getting his license and I said, okay, what about trying rallying then? So we borrowed a friend's micro and did that rally at Kirkuson. Was it New Year stages? And I think we finished quite well. Surprised a lot of people. And uh, his dad then said, okay, we'll, uh, we'll buy a rally car. So we bought a group A Nova. And that was the beginning of that relationship properly. Was it the following year then you had to go with the BRC together? We did. The Ulster Rally was the only round of the BRC we did in Nova. And then, yeah, sold it. Actually, yeah, the Ulster, we had a massive accident. The Ulster, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, nearly, that nearly curtailed everything. Whenever I walked into Robert's family home covered in blood. But it was just like little small 
glass shards, you know, nothing serious. But his dad was saying then, you know, that's it, it's over. We're not going to do any more. Where was the accident? Parking air. Out near Dungana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we managed to calm down, sold Nova, and did a deal with Don Buckley to buy an Evo 4 to do, it was basically do the British Championship on a, as many rallies as we could afford to do to get mileage and to get experience because he was only 18 then. And to be at that level, you know, it was incredible stepping stone for him to take. And we went out and got some pretty reasonable results from what I thought were good at that time anyway. And then the next year we moved into an Evo 5, which wasn't really quite as reliable as we wanted. It was a faster car, but just... Um, Robert really at that stage needed a Group A car because he was driving the car beyond its limits. And yeah, we got we got up to that level, and then uh, our paths veered apart. And I uh, started doing a bit more international stuff, and he then went with Barrett Subaru mm-hmm. with Rory Kennedy, I think standing with them and we learned an awful lot in a very short period of time. Um, yeah, I think there was one of the years you had at least, um, was there 16 rallies you'd covered? I think was it 98 or something? You had taken part yeah. at least 16, including your first WRC round on the Network Q rally. How, how, how was that for you? We got a new driver, um, stepping up a, another level again from, from the BRC. How did you find that? Was it a steep learning curve? What I find is the higher the level of the rallying that you do, it's actually easier because everything's set out for you. All the rules and regulations are all there. Um, all the time frame for everything that you have to do, everything is there. So as long as you read the regulations, you understand the regulations, you understand the itinerary. For me, it's an easier way to go rallying because it's, it's, all, programmed. it's all programmed, yeah, marked out. Um, and it's also we're getting into the stage there where the WRC was getting regulated the, the itineraries of the events were becoming more and more similar so it, I enjoy that where you, where you can plan and the driver can change his mind that, you know, that for me was one of the, the problems I always had was you'd be all set up, you'd made this massive plan and then the driver go can't do that day But once you went to WRC level, it changed all that. So dad had actually done a couple of rallies with Andrew previously. And he was then going with Hamad Al-Wahibi. So it was, I think it was the first rally we did together, wasn't it? The same rally at the same time. Okay, same pair. Dad was with Hamad and I was with Andrew. So during the recce, we, we shared recce service and stuff like that. Shared information. So it worked out very well for me. You were with who? Andrew Pinker. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I think you finished 33rd overall, was it? 33rd, yeah. 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 It wasn't without its problems and things like that. And, but, you know, for me, coming in and for Andrew, our first, I think it was our first rally together, we were both quite satisfied with it. 
and been at that world championship level for the first time to come away with a finish. Like, it's fantastic too, isn't it? As well, like, it's yeah, nice, yeah, nice filler in your cap as well, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it was. And again, previously to that, I've been quite lucky. I'd done uh, gravel notes on the RAC before, so I'd had an idea of what you're getting into, where you're going, and yeah, very lucky that way. Yeah. It didn't frighten you, really. You know, you were prepared. You no, were prepared. I, yeah, yeah. yeah prepared just just another step up. Once you, you read everything and you've done the recce, then you just have to be there on time. And read the book. <laughs> read the book, yeah, at the right time. Alan, your father took a wee bit of a back step from a frontline rally, but then in the mid-90s, he made a comeback with the Reynolds team in the, the BRC. Uh, with the Cleos, this was a very exciting time for the BRC. Everybody was learning very quickly in those days mm-hmm. because not a lot of the teams had any information about the UK. Mm-hmm. And even tyre companies you know, were interested in it because these cars were just ripping up front tyres. Mm-hmm. And the engineers, like how many engineers did Renault have? Yeah. We were getting into data technology you know, and things like that then. Yes, you know, people yes. with tire temperature guns at the end of stages. Mm-hmm. Well, it was very, ex- it, it reminded me of touring cars at the time. Yeah. The, the amount of development that was going on. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, kind of the same, nearly the same teams. Yeah. We watching, yep. you know, you're watching Jason Plato or whatever, and he's yep. Laguna, and then you had Robbie Head. With the same colour scheme. Uh-huh. Yep. You're watching oh. Robbie Head and Alan O'Reilly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then out to the Middle East. Like, the Middle East was, like, it's a whole different experience. It's like, it's like navigating your way through the, like the deserts and all. There's not a defined road as such. It's, was that provided a different challenge then again? Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was that, did you enjoy the, the years you spent out there? It is, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Different scene, different people. And when you're out there, the people were all friendly and Whereas here, we were getting into the year of animosity, as we could call it. Nobody was helping other people or things like that. It was, yeah, it was very good, I must say, an education. It was probably like harking back to 20 years previous to what rallying had been here, whatever, as you say, that friendliness, that wanting to help each other out and all that kind of thing. Yeah, different different values but you're right it was, it was friendly rallying it's multicultural as well oh yes mm-hmm. yeah you know it was you had people from oman dubai jordan lebanon northern ireland southern ireland australia England, australia it was yeah. and everybody was interested in what everybody else was doing I, and you had you had the team to go to Europe. You had the M Sport. You had all the, the top well, yeah. world teams out there with their yeah. with their full team supporting yeah. the, the top guys. No, it was the top three cars were proper factory cars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everybody else behind them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there like the entries weren't that? Was there 25, 30 cars in most of the rallies? Yeah, they just could have done with another twenty percent, twenty five percent more. Yeah. Uh, competitive, competitive people, but 
It was good. I must say, enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And for there, there always seems to have been, and, and, and maybe Terry, you, you, you're the man who started it, but there, there always seems to be a strong Northern Ireland and Irish connection from a co-driver point of view in the Middle East. And you know, why is it? What, what's the popularity, or why, why do the, the, the Northern Ireland and the Irish guys work so well? Well, you went out first in '95, wasn't it? Graham McKinley. Exactly. I was sitting ten minutes ago thinking, what was his name? Graham McKinley. Yeah. McKinley. Yeah. From Paramini. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first person I did. I went out. Paul Ridgewing got me out there to do a job with one small team in a Land Rover. These V8 Land Rovers. I was doing coordinators, we you call it. That was my first. I combined two things. Was we were trying to get a replacement for the World War One Rally Challenge, and we were, so Dubai would be the ideal place to to do that. It would have been new to everybody. Um, and there should have been money available, but the top motorsport man there wanted it all herself for Formula One, which still hasn't got, has he? No. Next door got it. So the, the co-driver thing for from Northern Ireland, it's they do like the way we talk. And it's something I've come across quite a lot, is I've worked a lot with foreign drivers, is if you speak clearly and not slowly, because obviously you can't read the pace notes slowly, then they understand. Because English isn't their first language but you have to make them happy enough so they're not translating. Because if they're starting to translate in their heads, then yes. you're wasting time. So so it's all about being clear, saying the right words. Stressing, stressing at the right time. Yeah. And, and intimating what's, what's happening. If it's fast stuff, then you know you speak. You're fast. Like there's no stress. And then if you want to get them to slow down, you, you make it a little bit stressful. They understand the feeling in your voice. Because there's been, there's Bobby, Ronan, yourself, Mickey Joe Morrissey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kelly and Duffy. Kelly and Duffy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joe Downey. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Well, we had some mighty times out there. Yeah. And is it much of a, a transition to, to, you know, to to getting used to the road, or well, the condi- not even roads, but the conditions out there and being able to, what do you call it, call the notes, you know, there's less landmarks, et cetera, to, you know, that type of thing. Well, my first experience was with Hamid. Uh, Dad would go out, make the notes with Hamid at slow speed, and then I would go out and do the, like practicing with him as you're allowed then. Uh, so I learned how to see the desert and then whenever I, I think it was the next year, 2000, no, it was a couple of years later, I ended up competing with Mubarak al through Ron Kremen, who was running the team. Uh, and Mubarak had been a co-driver before. So he had, as we now call Desert Eyes, he could pick the fastest, easiest route most of the time. Uh, even in the recce. So we'd make notes, which were basically describing 
how to move forward over the landscape the easiest way. Not really pace notes, but then that worked fine whenever you're in the desert. But then whenever you went to Lebanon or Jordan, you needed proper pace notes. So we worked. I learned a lot. He learned a lot. We crashed a lot. Because <laughs> he, he was a crazy, crazy guy. He, Saeed's cousin. Remember Saeed from yeah. Rotten? Oh, yeah. Said we said. Said we said. Well, Mubarak was his cousin. Yeah. You left out a couple of Irish co drivers. Yeah. Michael Orr. Michael, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. BP, yeah. Mm -hmm. hey. Just surprising, isn't it? How many? Bit of a bit of a proving ground. Done well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like you mentioned there, the mobile mobile one rally challenge. You were involved in the organisation of that. Like what? You know, like I was only spoke to Ronan Morgan there a few weeks ago about it. Like what a championship it was. Prime time Saturday. Afternoon viewing, like you had your grandstand, you had your Man United Liverpool matches on, and there was rallying slap bang in the middle of this. That was Brilliant. wasn't it fantastic? Brilliant. Yeah. Uh -huh. It worked so well. Mobile were mobile were so helpful. It was fantastic. I mean, can you imagine moving six rally teams and all their hangers on and everything mm -hmm. from north of England to the Elmand? Yeah, and then the other man, then the oh, wheels or whatever. Yeah, cars could be there okay anytime. With yeah. all the personnel, yeah. so to do the harder plane. Right. BAE 146. Okay. Five Blackpool to Douglas. Yeah. And back. Mm -hmm. It was oh, just fantastic, it really was. Mm -hmm. But then what happened? Or a petrol crisis or something. Okay. I was so happy being organized, mm -hmm. organizing that, being involved in it. it was just, it's a joy. Yeah, and like, can you think about it? Like, Lancia had works cars over. Yeah. Uh, Toyota GB <coughs> their cars in it. Ford had uh, Andrew's heat for hire cars. Like, it was so well supported by the manufacturers as well. Like, it's it was. It's, you, you can't even think about it happening now. You can't imagine like Toyota sending, you know, Yaris is letting um, like some Mark Higgins drive it or whatever, you know, it's just the concept of it now is just unbelievable, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Lots of good friendships made out of that event. Lots of good friendships I made. Say, absolutely. Yeah. Were... All the drivers and co-drivers are kept together, you know, in hotels, for... mm -hmm. sitting, waiting, you know, for their turn. Mm -hmm. and it was a lovely ambience to be around because everybody was sitting chat like Nicky Grist and Malcolm Wilson met there for yeah. the first time, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, there was relationships that were made and yeah. Uh, you were bubbling before there was such a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Who'd yeah. <laughs> have thought it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like you know, as I say, like even you know, to go from the you know, the North England Taylor Man to Wales or whatever, like as you, like Terry, you just said the logistics behind it, and it was all filmed within like I think ten days, twelve days or something, wasn't it? Yep. Like the time frame for it all to happen was just unbelievable, and you always seem to be blessed with the weather for it as well. Apart from the dust, <laughs> dust. What year was it? All the drivers complained about the dust. 
can't remember. But yeah, again, yeah. normal normal rally problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, like as I say, can you imagine now trying to get like the contracts you'd have to go through to get OJ to drive like a, a, a like a, a you know like a front wheel drive car? You know what yeah. happened? It just wouldn't happen, would it? You know, no, not at all. And then to allow a junior driver like say John Armstrong to drive a Yaris, you know, mm -hmm. you know, it just wouldn't happen. No. Mm -hmm. no. Uh, and like we talked about Mark Lovell earlier on, like Mark Lovell come, come within two seconds of beating Stig Blomkvist. You know, like dream scenario really, wasn't it? Yes, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I uh, had to be brave to step up to the plate. Yeah. As well, mm -hmm. because your your reputation's on the line. Aye. Yeah. You you had them five or six stages in five or six different cars, and you had to prove yourself. Aye. You know, one, one practice run, you got. Yeah. One practice run, one time run. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. We got so much cooperation from top people outside the thing. It was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and motor clubs. You know, motor, yeah, yeah, need yeah, motor yeah. clubs on board to come around the stages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can yeah. yeah, you need marshals, you need mm -hmm. rescue services, you need all yeah. that just to pull them. All the radio guys right? as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do think it was way ahead of its time. Like it really was. You know, so. Without Happy days. Yep, great events to be involved with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just again, just to, to, to pick up with Alan there um, and come back to the Tour of the Ferns, that your first win, I believe, that would have been with Pat Hurston. That... It wasn't my first win. Was it not okay? The, what year was Tour of the Ferns? 2007? Was it? So Pat I think. 2008? Yeah, I think it was. Um, quite. You have to go back 12 years, believe it or not, from my first win, which was with Raymond Mason. Do you remember Raymond? Yeah, yeah. Rally Hare to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, in his famous yellow cab. It was the Ball and the Hinch Summer Stages, 1995. <laughs> that was my first rally win. And I can't remember very much about it because it was all very exciting. <laughs> no, Raymond. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes, and as you can probably imagine, there was a bit of a celebration afterwards. And that's when things get really hazy. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Just Ball and Hitch Motor Club. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, was, that yeah. In, was that in Bishop's Court then? Was that somewhere? Oh, no, that was no, in the woods. On the woods, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. We're in the woods on pace notes. Yeah. I did, I think it probably did four or five rallies with Raymond over that period. And uh, he always said I was the least prepared co-driver that I'd ever worked with. <laughs> but he loved the way I read the notes. So he, he was happy to live with it. <laughs> so going back to Patter then in 2008, uh, I was helping Stan Harper at the time preparing rally cars. Well, as it did on and off through whatever it was, 10 years. He was down on the hill. And uh, Patter's car was in the workshop. And I think Damien had something else to do that weekend, so he couldn't do it. So Stan came up with the idea, oh, well, we've got an in-house co-driver, we'll just put him in the car. So Pat and I went off, did recce. And again, it was, it was one of those ones that's disjointed. I think I did the recce the weekend before. And then, you know, you had a week in the workshop and then back to do the rally. Just keep on looking at the times, first stage time. Oh, that's okay. How do we do? Yep, pretty good. Then the second stage time, oh, 
looks like we're leading. Okay, so kept pushing, kept pushing, and he was happy. He was comfortable at the pace he was going at. I was comfortable reading the notes, and we were fortunate enough to get the win. Uh, not long after that, I made the decision then to do the Ulster Rally. And it was apart from a rally in Norway that I did where I went over the start line and the cam belt fell off the car. The Ulster Rally was the shortest rally I have ever done because it lasted 39 seconds. And we had an absolutely monumental accident at Mark Higgins' favourite place. The Telegraph Pool. Yeah. 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 So that was the beginning and the end of me and Patter's rallying career at that stage. Um, I don't, I don't know how long it took him to, to get back th- things back together after that accident. That was one of the biggest ones I've been involved with. That didn't involve going upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was that? Bit of a shame because it went from you know a like win. Hero to zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what can you do? And what do you call it in in? Uh, 2006, I think it was, you were sitting with Kevin Lynch in Donegal. And yes. Leading after day one and, and, and looking to do a repeat performance of, of your dad, possibly. Yes. Oh, and well. When... That it, we didn't go there thinking that we were going to have the pace because the weather forecast had said it was going to be very dry and warm. But it turned out in the Friday morning, okay, it was it was warm, but it wasn't the heat that they expected, but it was damp and we were on Kumo tires and they just suited the conditions perfectly. And Kevin drives with an incredible feeling of grip. So he, he just knows when the grip's there and when it's not. So we put in a couple of really good stage times. Can't remember how many were won that day, but leading, leading on Friday night, coming back to the hotel, nice feeling to call the old man and say, uh, well, he says, how's it going? He said, oh, not too bad. Where are you this weekend? I said, Donegal. All right, how's it going? We're leading. You're what? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was good. But then it, it ended uh, against the house in Atlantic Drive again. <laughs> yeah. Quite near the second pub again, wasn't it? I think you were yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, I think my rally has ended in Atlantic Drive a few times. <laughs> yeah. That's what people have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Robert Woodside and I knocked down a bridge on one occasion. Yeah. But Kevin Kevin was an unbelievably fast driver. Uh, we did, do you remember the, the Rally Ireland candidate event? Candidate event? Yeah. yeah. Like I saw, I had a rough idea of his, his potential then. Um, I think I would crash out of that and got stuck. Yeah. But before that, I'd seen how good he was in the gravel and then I, did a couple of tests with him before Donegal and saw how good he was in the tarmac. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and Very fast driver. And to come from never competing to one in Raleigh within, was it two years or something? Was yeah, it, you know? yeah, amazing. Yeah. He arrived up at Stan Harper's one night with an old, very old Group N car and just looking for some help. Mm-hmm. And Stan, being Stan, helped him, brought him along the way. And next thing he had three World Rally cars in the shed. You know, mm-hmm. Off. It was phenomenal when you think back on it, like the commitment, yeah. the money he spent, and the yeah. rallies he won. Like, like, was it how many times they won Lurgan Park as well? Like, yeah, yeah, 
I'm beating Mark Higgins, Kenny McKinstry, you know. Oh, <laughs> aye. Yeah. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. You just don't get that by buying heavy machinery because no, everybody no. had heavy machinery. machinery. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And like that, Donegal 2006, the height of the boom, <laughs> every man had his World Rally car there. Yeah, like, or his helicopter. Know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like to be well, looking after day one is like it's an achievement. It's it has to yeah. be a huge, you know, when you're looking back in your career, it has to be one of them things that you're going to look back and say, that was yeah. me, you know. So, sure. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was, there's been so many similarities in my dad's and my life that I've been offered lifts and helicopters over lots of times, but I tend not to do it until unless I've crashed out of a rally. And then you go, right, okay. The chances of having two crashes in one day is quite slim. <laughs> so. <laughs> not if you like a Mr. Batman. So that was one of the times I accepted a lift in a helicopter to go back to the hotel from Atlantic Drive down mm-hmm. back to the Kenny. And I must say, the pilot made it a very pleasurable experience because he obviously knew that I wasn't happy about right. being in it. Yes. He made it very pleasurable, and that's probably the last time I was ever in a helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, it's one of those rallies that I'll always remember for good things, apart from the accident. Yeah, yes. but, you know, yeah, uh, it's good that, times. Kevin was a lovely guy to be around as well. Yeah, I am very unassuming. Very, when he was yeah. out of the car, he was so quiet. You know, yeah. you know, completely different persona. But he must have just whenever the you said go, whoever said. It must yep. have just clicked with them, really. That's it. Yeah. And and speaking of being in exotic machinery, I always think of um, Robert and yourself bringing the Porsche to um, the, the the circuit and the ER, ERC round. How did that come about? Robert and I had been friends with Richard since the BRC in '98, whenever Richard was driving the Subaru. So we've always stayed friends, kept in touch. We'd been a couple of times to Below Zero, you know, the ice driving school up there. And uh, I got talking to him uh, after Monte Carlo, whenever Delacour was driving the car. And just said, you know, what, is there any chance of, you know, maybe getting that car anywhere? And he said, well, we're doing a drive day in Ireland for potential customers. So I said to Robert, look, this might be up your street. So... Uh, I think that's the way it worked out. And uh, they brought it over, Robert drove it, and then it, uh, he said, okay, we'll maybe get a deal together to get to the circuit. And we got some very good backing from uh, Karcher. Uh, Craig Moore and Porter Down helped us. And the iconic livery, that yes. will stay with me forever. I just yes. thought it was one of the most glorious looking, glorious sounding Crowley cars ever. Albeit in Ireland, all the same pace as R2 cars. Yeah, that's, it doesn't uh, matter. <laughs> it didn't matter, no, no. The sound. Yeah, yeah. No, it was fantastic and it was a real shame, gutting for me especially, whenever the clutch broke on the start line in Newton Ards, because there were so many friends and family of mine around that street stage and then not to get to do it. But, you know, again, these things, you get stories out of them, you get memories out of them. Yeah. And that's them the kind of things you're going to remember in, you know, in 20 years' time, thing, you yes. know, sitting in that car, yeah. that's going to be yeah. a standout, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, people, uh, 
probably now six years on, people like we're here talking about it still. We didn't ever expect it to be that special. But Roberts has a big family history with Porsche. You know, they've always had Porsches. His, his father owned the old uh, Billy Coleman Porsche. I think John Mulholland had, had it as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, there's a big picture up on one of our workshop walls and work, you know, of Ian jumping the car on a public road, not far away from the workshop. So it meant a lot to him. Obviously, my family has had a deep-rooted history of Porsche with Dad and Desi mm-hmm. and Carl. So it, it just it all it ticked all the boxes. Yeah, squared yeah. the circle as such. Yeah, yeah, and Dommy. Oh, and Dommy, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Dommy and Dad and Donny Gall of the Porsche. That's Bobby right. Kings. Ah, right. yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about this. <laughs> sleep tonight <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, there's a guy there too a fantastic talent you know that oh. is largely overlooked as well too yeah. the, the things that man has done the car you know and a fantastic preparation man yeah mm-hmm. there's not much he doesn't know about car setup mm-hmm. and about how to make a rally car work yeah great mm-hmm. guy to be around Nick they're chatting to Martin McCormick and Barney there and mm-hmm. like the RAC rally he Barney says like there's like some stages you basically finish the stage 300 meters up you start the next stage Excellent. in the middle of a forest conflict Donny appears out in the middle of the woods <laughs> well yeah. boys, how you get on in there yeah. <laughs> yeah. Star man uh, yeah. it just appears everywhere and anywhere yeah. it just whatever needs done is and you always have time for you as well yep brilliant mm-hmm. yeah good guy mm-hmm. I think that must have been some experience too that weekend for you Terry too like it, that car, that Bobby King Porsche, like <laughs> I think he just he took to it, and I think he had a more strange angles around Donegal that weekend than was probably anybody thought was possible, did they? <laughs> Similar to what do you call it, the Hotel Valley. It used to be called Valley. What's it called now? Oh, the Mount Eric. Valley Rain. Yeah. Uh-huh. The Valley Rain. Valley mm-hmm. Rain. <laughs> Twelve minutes of Sonora to. Ballyrian Hotel. In that? Yeah. On the road? Yeah, well, to the start of the rally. <laughs> I kept saying, we need to go, we need to go. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I don't know what they were doing, why. And all of a sudden, it was a total panic. And I think it was 12 and a half minutes to do. Yes. Or would it be? <laughs> Where was it from? Stranor. Stranor. Stranor to... Little Kenny, yeah. Mind Eric, how far is that? Oh, it's, well, it's what, 15 mile, I would say, you know, you know. And like the, the, the weekend yeah. of the rally, the traffic around there never knows too. So. 12 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I could not believe it. <laughs> After that, the rally was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the 21k drive. 21k. It wasn't far away with me, 15 miles in, really. Yeah, 21k drive. So over 60 mile an hour, Richard. Oh, I thought that. Mm-hmm. Traffic. Yeah. Uh, that's what I say. The weekend Donegal Rally weekend, the traffic round Letterkenny yeah. and Stranorra. Yes, good road, but there's parts of it that are wonderful, isn't there? You know, um, you look at the, the, I'm looking at the cars you sat in over the years. Like, you know, if you if you could pick a dream list of cars you wanted to sit in, I think you've ticked all the boxes: the Porsche, Metros, <laughs> tick, tick, yep. yeah, you know? uh, M3s, WRC Focus, yep. you know, S9 Subarus, you know, like. 
what a career you've had too. You must have some great memories there too over the years. I've been very lucky to meet some wonderful people and some fantastic drivers who have had great cars. Um, for me, the standout one, the fastest rally car that I've probably ever been in was the 03 Focus. Because at the time, there was n I, I hadn't been anything that went down the road as fast, but so easy. Like, it was effortless to, to have the speed in the car. The suspension travel, the engine power, the gear shifting, the brakes. It just dealt with everything easily. I don't, like even aerodynamics in them too. Yeah. They stuck to the road too, didn't they? Yeah. It was such yeah. A, yeah. Incredible thing. The Porsche, again, being inside it with the noise and the experience was something that I'll never forget. I, I do find myself going onto YouTube and watching the in-car every now and again just to remind <laughs> myself. But they, one of the ones that... Um, now there was, it always had a bit of a reputation as being a little bit too fast. The ST205 Saliga. Oh, yeah. Uh, I went to Norway in 99 to do some rallies with Martin Stensorna, and he just bought Peter Solberg's car because he'd moved on. <coughs> he, that was his first year with M Sport. Mm -hmm. um, we did a few rallies in Norway in it. Um, one of them was the Larvik rally, which was asphalt. And we went, did a pretty good recce. Uh, had a nice test with the car. So all going quite well. Um, Petter was there with Phil with the Focus, which would have been the current 99 Focus. Mm -hmm. And without the first stage, I think we were second behind them. And we beat them on the next three stages and then crashed. But Phil... <laughs> yeah. uh, Phil thought that I was giving him bum times at one stage and stopped speaking to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that car was incredibly fast uh -huh. and very competent. And it was a racing car on tarmac. Yes. And Mar Martin had been a kart racer. So it suited him perfectly. Mm -hmm. But we, all, we got some good results in gravel as well with Martin. But I, I'll never forget the speed of that thing on tarmac. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah. They were a very special car, yes, I know there was the, the controversy over the turbo and whatever, yeah, but, yeah. you know, they, but they just seemed to be, especially on tarmac, they just seemed to really suit that style, the wheels yeah. at each corner, like they were a great big go-kart really, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, the speeds you could carry, and again, uh, Toyota developed this thing called the superstructure suspension and stuff like that, so whenever you were going over jumps and bumps, it just felt composed, it didn't, didn't worry, uh, like, Nowadays, R5 cars are very similar. You, just, you can drive over most things and it, it doesn't upset it. The Sleeko was a wee bit about, it was like that. You know, whereas the, the Group M Pretzel would have, you, you would have felt a lot more. So, yeah, good cars. But there's, I'm just looking through the list here. I haven't had a go on a current WRC. I suppose that's the only thing missing. <laughs> that would be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. But then not a lot of people have, isn't that right? Well, this is that, they're very, you know, they are, it's not, it's not everybody can tick that box, you know, so. No. Yeah. And Terry, is there, like, you look back at your career, is there one car, or one driver, or one rally that 
that really stands out head and shoulders above the rest? Well, I think for a car point of view, it's got to be the Turbo 16. Right. Not the NSU? Well, <laughs> I knew that question was coming. <laughs> it's in the garage. Driver. Uh, I always surprise people, and I surprise myself that I still think it. Vic Elbert. Right. I have, yeah, and he was, he was a racing driver as well as a rally driver, so... He I started think, off as a navigator. Right, uh-huh. He drove a factory DKW okay. on some funny rally or other, and then he became a driver for Standard Triumph, mm -hmm. and then Ford took him on. When was that, in the 60s or 50s? Must have been all in the 60s. And then he went to Porsche... And then he went to NASCAR. Mm -hmm. And then he went to Formula One. Yeah. And could drive him. Like that just proves he was just mm -hmm. the absolute epitome of natural. Mm -hmm. It's just so easy. It's incredible. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. In my head, did he won the Monte? Did he won Monte Carlo one year? No, he might have won Le Mans. Maybe Le Mans, I'm thinking of, yeah. But he was he was one of the top 9-11 drivers, you know, yeah. in the early 70s. And they were a difficult car to drive. It wasn't everybody could drive them. Yeah. Mm. The fact that he went to NASCAR yeah. and the States drove them, I mean, they are yes. serious bits of kit. Yes. Crazy things. Mm -hmm. it's, all, it's all power, not maybe the most refined cars, no. It's a serious, serious run, and it's the driver that makes the makes the difference there, isn't it? Yeah. Keep turning left. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's it's not computer generated. It's no. <laughs> it's pure grunt. Went to Formula One with Cooper Maserati. Mm -hmm. uh, he was brilliant. But it's amazing. Started as a navigator, worked his way up through everything. Yes. So he he's your standout driver. So if you if you could get him in the two hundred five T sixteen, that would be the ideal recipe, you reckon? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Not a crasher either. No. Well, we'll finish the RAC by going to the car break, which yeah. <laughs> if you're not crashing, you're not trying. In the Ford Cortina. Must have been a Lotus Cortina. Mark, was it a Mark One Lotus? Of course it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mark One Lotus Cortina on the Gulf for London Rally in '68, something like that. Gulf London Rally was the most incredible event. It went solid for three and a half days with a two-hour halt in the middle of it. Gulf had tankers out around the route to supply the fuel because. Right. Couldn't, didn't want to go into places to get fuel just to break the thing. Mm -hmm. They had these stages up in Dolby, which were illegal because they went across main roads. When I say main roads, that's not really fact. Yeah, but I rode by the roads. Yeah. And at stages of 40 miles, 55 miles long. But we're quite early on in the rally. Just look at this. It just lifts the steering wheel off. 
put it back on. He says, some stupid person's forgotten to put the net out. He's <laughs> absolutely right. It's obviously sat on the table. Yep. So they got a bit of a shock and just came up with it. <laughs> How cool can you be? Yeah. <laughs> Not like Peter Solberg. No. <laughs> I'll have to get the tools out. That's right, yeah. That was, that was Finland, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Petter's stay we just started to come loose in the stage. Uh-huh. Phil had to get the tool bag out from between his legs. Oh, right. Get the, the gallon key out, tighten mm-hmm. it up. Good old rallying. Yes. And like the one that I was looking through on your results, like you were probably one of the first people in the world to rally a Yaris as well. <laughs> you sat in a Yaris. Yes. <laughs> How did yeah. you ever think it would ever turn out this way? You know? <laughs> Definitely not. At that time it was uh it was a programme Hamad was putting together with the Omani government to help young motorsport not only drivers co-drivers but also mechanics and engineers okay so i think they built four of them so the guys came from universities mm-hmm. uh, to build the cars they were instructed by uh, an engineer from england chris hodgson he taught them all how to build them how to make them what were what, you know what was going to need replaced and everything mm-hmm. we got and tires and they're all taught about it. And then the drivers and co-drivers were brought in and interviewed and selected by Hamid and myself. And we brought them along and we wanted to show them how far the car could go up the leaderboard in a local rally. Mm-hmm. You know, that they weren't driving something that was just going to tailboat around at the end, that yes. it could be up on the podium. Mm-hmm. So that's what Hamid did tried to stick it up on the podium, I think. Unfortunately, we took a wheel off in the last stage because we were in second place and he was trying to win against, I think it was 10 <laughs> Evo 9s and a couple of Evo 10s. But that's how much talent that, that fella has as well. Yes. He mm-hmm. he is an incredibly talented driver. Yeah. Who? Hamid. Yeah. yeah. I'm pure, pure natural because he came into the sport very late. Yeah. What age was he? 20, 28? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, uh, just sitting in beside him. I did the first recce with him. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Just couldn't believe it. Now, that's not to say that we didn't get into some intriguing situations over the years. Yes. Because sometimes luck overcomes ability. <laughs> and Various parts of the scenery came in through the car and camels and things like that, and trees and we lost wheels. And, yeah, like we, we were wrecking for or practicing as it was. You went and wrecked for a couple of days, and I practiced for five days with them uh-huh. in a car that was the same as the rally car, right? So it would just be driven to destruction, uh-huh. you know. And service at the end of each stage, wrecking right, on the rigging, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But again, it's times like that. Stan Harper was there, Stephen McMaster, you know, and you bond, you make friends because it's that, you know, sometimes you have to get on the radio and say, look, it might be nine o'clock at night. We've been out since six o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and it's getting dark and we've pulled the wheel off it. Can you yes. come and get us? Yeah, bring the trailer here. <laughs> yeah. And this is before, you know, WhatsApp where you could just give them the location. Uh-huh. You can't drop a pin now. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Friends for life, you make whenever you're like that. And like Kerry, you you must have like you know you must have friends 
that you, you know, like the likes of the McCartneys, Cahill Curley, these guys that, you know, you were rallying with back in the, the 60s and 70s, that you're probably still in contact with to this day? Unfortunately, I am a total introvert. Oh, right. I don't contact anybody. I don't know why. I should have learned by now. The only person I, that I ever asked could I co-drive or navigate for them was Ari. Right. And that was purely through Joan Passos telling me to do it. Okay. Otherwise, I, would, I mean, it was, he was off the phone and I was on the phone diary. Mm -hmm. That was it. Yes. There was no money. Get here as cheaply as you can. Mm -hmm. I went by train from Gothenburg to Karlstad instead of going flying to Stockholm and then back to Karlstad to save money, to save money. Uh -huh. and then I had a stinking cold. Right. Well, it worked out. Yes. That's the only time. And unfortunately, I do not keep contact with anybody. Okay. I have three mates to play golf with. Mm -hmm. And that's probably it. Took me two weeks to find him. <laughs> Get him onto this. <laughs> doesn't even stay in touch with me. <laughs> and, and Alan, with regard to staying in touch with people, uh, know you've a, a long-term rally partnership with Robert, um, but also you have with John Paps. Uh, you, you have a very strong relationship there that's been going through the years and, and quite a few victories under your belt as well. Yep, yep. With John, that started in 2001. I, Chris Patterson asked me if I'd do gravel notes for him and Robert Woodside on, I think it was Rally Luxembourg. And if I did that for nothing, he'd get me a gig with John Paps in a rally in Italy. And it always been one of the things I wanted to do was to do a rally in Italy. Uh, and I thought, right, okay, that's perfect. I'll do that. So James Cullen and I went out and did gravel notes for Robert and Chris. And then after the rally, Chris said, okay, I'll get you in touch with John and this rally's in BLA. I think it was in August. It's in a 206 WRC. I went, sorry. Yeah, it's Bozian Racing, one of the X-Factory cars. So I arrived in Biella and uh, had a message on my phone whenever I arrived. Hello, uh, Giannis here. Please get a hire car and make your way to the hotel. And he rhymed off this hotel. This is 2001, before like SatNav was commonplace and things like that. So I'm in Milan. Uh, no hair car, got the credit card out, got a hair car, drove to Biella, basically, you know, with maps and signposts, old school, <laughs> and uh, found the hotel, checked into the hotel, walked into the room, and there was four beds in the room. It's like, oh, obviously everybody's staying in my room then. So I was sort of awake, half past one came and went, and was like, okay, eventually I fell asleep. Being from you know Ireland, you're expecting everybody to arrive into your room. We're sharing a room here. <laughs> Didn't quite understand what I got myself into. So, so next day, down for breakfast, met John, understood, and went and met the team. It was like, okay, I'm keeping that room for the weekend. And there's nobody else going to be here. <laughs> but that that was the beginning of the relationship, and I must say, he he tests you. 
to find out if, if you're strong enough, mentally strong enough. And that week was quite testing. Um, did the recce, had a few problems with the recce car, uh, went to the shakedown of the rally car, and it was horrendous. Uh, whenever you accelerated, it went right. Whenever you braked, it went left. And I spent all day working at it and couldn't fix it. So we ended up not doing the rally. And I thought, oh, well, you know, come all the way to Italy. Didn't get to do the rally, but at least I've been here and I've sat my 206 WRC. Mm -hmm. Worst weeks. Uh, and then he, he rings the room and says, okay, we're going to go for lunch. Uh, we've rented a boat and we're going out in Lake Garda. Ah, okay. <laughs> now it becomes worthwhile. So that's whenever the friendship really started, whenever he was relaxed and we talked about things and said, okay, this is my plan for the rest of the year. I'd like you to be involved. And that was 2001. The last rally we did together was 2019. Uh, I planned to do rallies with him last year, but because of the coronavirus thing, it just didn't come about. So fortunately, the last rally we did together, we won. And it had been a goal for nearly 20 years to win a rally in Italy together. Uh, we'd led, I don't know, how many over the years, whenever you were out sure. with us? To be let down on the penultimate stage, even on the road section to the finish. You know, people say, that's why whenever I'm watching the WRC and they've got the podium after the, the last stage, and I'm like, they're being very, very confident there <laughs> because twice we've had the car break down on, on the road section on the way to the finish. So to, to get that rally win in Italy with him, it was quite emotional for both of us after trying so long because it's not easy to go to Italy and beat the Italians at home, just mm -hmm. see what Craig did at the weekend. Mm -hmm. weekend. Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. um, I photographed every time card that I handed in Make sure there's no discrepancies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and we're still friends. Still speak at least once a month on the phone. See what's happening. Catch up. Yeah, he's so, been very, very good to me. And as soon as Cronus players permitting, I'm guessing you'll be on your travels once again. Yes, uh, I've built up a relationship there with another driver in Greece who's actually John's best friend uh, and we've done Monte Carlo a few times together and we did Monza last year so all things being equal we got a couple of rallies with him this year and then another young driver uh, who he introduced me to uh, hopefully going to do a few rallies in him with in Greece as well teaching him the ins and outs of making pace notes and things like that yeah and Terry, I suppose we'll start to wrap up. Like, have you had your time over again and you were starting out now? But would there be anything you would do different or anything you would anything you would change or did you just you enjoy every moment of your your ride along the way? I'm quite happy the way it's been and here I am. Play golf, but now it's really hurts to play golf. 
but like you know, you're what eighty-two now, and to be yeah. out there able still able to play golf, you know, have you, you know your exactly. three friends. Uh, hopefully now with this Corona thing, it's starting we're hopefully over the worst of it to get back out there playing golf, and you know, uh, yep. uh, must do your heart good. Yep. So just couldn't complain about anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, complain about the weather here. How? Of course we can. Yeah. <laughs> Once April, that was our summer. Mm-hmm. What are we going to have now in June, July, and August? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You take it, take it as it is, and just be thankful that you can still enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And like you, you've been at the highest, the highest table of of rallying. You know, you've been won in world championship rallies. You know, you've started out as a clubman. You've sat in, you know, cars that the rest of us can only dream of. Like it's been such a wonderful career you've had, really. Yep, absolutely. Agreed, totally. Mm-hmm. And you see now, somebody's won their 67th World Championship rally. Who's won the most rally World Rallies? Mm-hmm. Is it uh, OJ? OJ, when did you win? Yeah, Loeb, I think, still the one overall ones, isn't he? Is yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Six. Yeah, he's won nine titles and uh, whatever, I think it's 96 or 99 overall ones, yeah. I really didn't get into top rallying soon enough. Uh-huh. I complain about that. I could have been, should have been younger when I started doing it. But I gave it up. It was any rally, and I gave it up for a couple of years. And got my arm twisted to get back into it. it was, it was I liked the pace notes. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed doing that. That's it. And I think, Alan, as you're like we have alluded to there, lifelong friends, you know, traveling the world, you know, yeah. something that you started out as a like a bit of fun to more or less make a career out of it too. Like it's been phenomenal for you as well, hasn't it? Charmed life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You must pinch yourself nearly every day. <laughs> yeah. And for me, I only realized that quite recently, uh, a vast percentage of the life that I love is the traveling, is the seeing places, is the meeting new people, and the rallying just... Uh, is that a bonus to it, Neil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do love rallying, mm-hmm. but the, the traveling and the rallying work. I, I don't think traveling and racing would be so successful because you're you're stuck in... And the you talk to the track guy, and then yeah, you yeah. see the track, you see the yeah. hotel, you see the track, yeah. you see the hotel. Yeah, but rallying, you, you get to see the whole of the area that you're in. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're doing WRC, you know, Catalonia is a fantastic place. Mm-hmm. No, but nobody understands until you go and you see the different places and the different scenery and the little pubs and restaurants. It's not Salou, yeah. you know, it's, it's beyond that, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. 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 Uh-huh. That's where you go to the, the Irish bar or whatever. I can't even remember the name of it now. But have you not been there? No. <laughs> to my eternal, <laughs> my eternal shame, no. <laughs> but it, as you say, it's beyond all that. Like, yeah, it's one of the great things about having spent all that time rallying. You see the world. You see parts of the world that nobody else will ever see. Yeah. Part yeah. of the people who actually live there. Uh-huh. It's incredible. And just to bring up something completely different, Camel Trophy. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Like, Dad was involved in that for a long time. I was lucky enough to go for three years on that. Yes. That was absolutely life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. Like six weeks in the Amazon jungle, you know, with, we were, was there 30 of us together? Mm-hmm. 
six weeks, 30 people, totally cut off. Okay, there's one sat phone. Yes, we had a real problem. Yeah. Siberia. But, yeah. yeah. Like what I what an experience. And to share it with your father or share it with your yeah. son. Like, you know, that's you know, like it's oh, heard of, you know, it's just yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. saying charm charm life mm -hmm. fantastic yeah and you, you see the relationship there between the two is the way in screen you such have an easy manner with each other because there's a strong friendship there as well as a father-son relationship as well isn't there you know yeah. so. one thing that you didn't mention here i must congratulate you on your research it's absolutely brilliant thank you very much appreciate fantastic that. appreciate that my, my last event mm -hmm. dakar oh yes Mm -hmm. That just emphasised how completely, utterly stupid I am. <laughs> 63 years old, were you? I have no idea. <laughs> was it? I think it was 2003. We were doing Arctic Rally. Mm -hmm. And Dad and James always came to do ice notes, gravel notes, whatever mm -hmm. we were. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dad went straight from Dakar, finishing Dakar. No, no, I didn't get to Dakar. Sorry. <laughs> Sharm el-Sheikh. Sharm el-Sheikh, yeah. To Rovaniemi. Okay. So what was it, plus 30 to minus 30 overnight? Yep. Well, left the afternoon, flew to Paris. On a plane from Paris to Hels Helsinki and then another plane to Rovaniemi. Needless to say, I got a cold whenever I arrived. But that is, that was an incredible experience, I have to say. Yes. Uh, I don't know why I agreed to do it, but it was a, I just had this thing inside me that I would love to have actually driven something like a standard Pajero, uh -huh. driven a, a pr properly prepared standard one, not a basic yeah. thing, just to experience going across the Sahara and all that. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing, amazing thing, but I still don't know why I did it. Yeah. Oh, I do, of course. Mad. <laughs> what was it? You got Dakar done and you got a, a rally in the current WRC as it was then in Syria. That's a whole other story by itself, Syria. <laughs> Dakar. That was after Dakar, same year. After Dakar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I told you lies there if I say my last. <laughs> yeah. Syria. Oh, my God. <laughs> I could talk to you for an hour and a half on that rally. <laughs> and what was the experience? What, what was the car even that you were sitting in, in Syria? What was it? S8 vehicle. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. The Subaru S8. Uh -huh. But they were wrecking in a 99 car. Right, okay. Which was then given to me and the younger son to rally in. Okay. We were in a group any of nine. Mm -hmm. So these guys just, you know, we're going rallying. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it wasn't brother, was it? It was, were they cousins, the ham shows? Brothers. They were brothers. Yeah. 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 What do you call the young one? Ahmed. Ahmed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting week of our lives. <laughs> a very interesting week of our lives. Two weeks. Two weeks. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, whenever you, you don't have any control over any situation at all, and yes. you're 
like you're just being <laughs> dragged yeah. along. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're quite lucky to feel the wheels lift off the ground at Damascus Airport. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can relax there. <laughs> yeah. I had quite a few problems with the local law keepers right. over the years. Mm -hmm. um, Manaus, Camel Trophy. One of our team had left his passport in the hotel and we were stopped on the road coming back later that day and they wanted his passport and we were all arrested. We did a job for John Brown on the classic. In Croatia? Is that? Must be London to Cape Town. We were in Romania doing doing some route modifications because of the situation in Yugoslavia. Okay. And we were arrested there by the secret police because we had this thing on the dashboard and we drove backwards and forwards past this big military base. Didn't know it was a military base. Didn't okay. know it was a military base. Uh -huh. Daily soldiers. <laughs> Taken back to headquarters, and because I had two Croatian guys with me, the Croatian registered vehicle. So I immediately got on to John Brown, and he got on to the Paris of B in Whitehall. And then he escalated into a serious affair. International crisis? Yeah. <laughs> that was the other one where I had a problem with the police. And there was a time you went into Jordan on your Irish passport and tried to leave on your UK passport. That didn't go down well. well I did that was in Oman. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was carrying two passports. Because yeah. you know, carrying two passports is not... No, not no. no. <laughs> It'll be illegal, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I had an so we should call it. Going to Argentina. Couldn't get a visa. Paris. Where they unveiled some new car, it must have been the 309, would that be it? Look at it, garbage. <coughs> and then got a message to go to the Brazilian embassy in Paris where I could get it, where a visa would be waiting for me. To go to Brazil? I had gone to Dublin and taken out an Irish passport. No problem to get into Argentina. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But obviously I shouldn't have been there. If I hadn't have been there, we wouldn't have had that accident. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> yes. So that passport, I'm afraid, was only used once. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> right, well, I think we'll, we can wrap it up there. So, Alan and Terry, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good. Um, Enjoyed it. Yes, I hope you can get something together out of oh, it. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah, there's loads of great stuff in yeah. there now. With the research you've done has been... Brilliant. Thank you very much, Noah. That was Terry Harriman, Alan Harriman, Connor Edwards, and myself, Kevin Glendinning, talking William. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And if you liked it, can you please like and share across all social media platforms? And if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, can you please rate and review? And if you're watching it on the YouTube channel, can you please subscribe to the channel? That would all be gratefully appreciated. Until the next time, take care, speak soon, bye.